Hello and welcome to Cool Sheets, where we sift through the noise so you don't have to. You'll hear all about 10 things that we are currently enjoying in our lives. Each of us has exactly two minutes to dive in and tell you about one of the things we've chosen. It might be a book, an app, a gadget, a place, anything goes. Don't forget to get all of our show notes on our website, coolsheets.cool. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's dive into our Cool Sheets. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Holman. And I'm Brian Hart. And here we go. Yeah. It's weird. It feels like we were just here. <laughs> it does feel a little deja vu all <laughs> over again. Time flies. <laughs> all right. I get to go first on this episode, and I'm going to start out with a book. Now, this book is actually a collection of essays, and these are by E.F. Schumacher. And it is called Small is Beautiful, Economics as If People Mattered, which is a little bit creepy by the name. But unfortunately, um, it feels creepy because it's a little bit true, um, because sometimes it feels like people don't matter with economics. So we have um, this, of course, this difference between money and wealth and those two ideas there, and they aren't necessarily always the same. And this the collection of essays is really awesome because it brings in these ideas and also brings in some different perspectives that surprised me and um, just very, very interesting. So one of the essays in the book is called Buddhist Economics, for example. So it's bringing in some spiritual principles and um, and these ideas of moral principles, essentially, into this question of wealth. And it's also pretty cool because it invokes some of the ideas of Alan Watts, who's a former Cool Sheets, Cool Sheet, and so, um, and, and just invoking some of those ideas. So, for example, I think um, in Many societies, um, including Western societies, work is seen as a necessary evil. And so we have this idea that wages are kind of a compensation for some kind of sacrifice that we're making. And so then he brings in and tries to contrast it with a Buddhist perspective where it is more of here we have work as an opportunity to utilize things that you've learned, to learn more and to maybe overcome ego-centeredness by joining with other people, with a team of, of doing more. And so just uh, really bringing in these different ideas that's really fascinating there's so much more to this that brings in economics and people in this collection of essays very cool it is kind of too bad that 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 is in the title but it's so true i know it's I know. true yeah. and and he does bring up this um that there are almost there's almost a defensiveness with economics sometimes they're like oh well we we can I mean, he says it way more, way better than I can. But, um, you know, well, economics is more of a, a hard and fast. You know, there's there's numbers and there's money and the money to be had. And, and money. so, That's the well, key. right. And I guess I need to stop there. There's <laughs> <Right>. ah, <sighs> all bets yeah. are off. Right. <laughs> there are no people anymore. Right. It's all just the money. Right. A lot of times. But, yeah. but it's cool. And by the way, this is from 1973. Whoa. Is when it was published. And yeah. still relevant. Yes, it today is. Today and probably 20 years from now. I know. But very cool. Um, all right. My first cool sheet is a podcast. 
And this podcast, boy, it just had its fifth birthday, so it's been happening for five years, and I have never heard of it. I, I think, although I might have had it actually on a subscription, but I've never even actually listened to any episodes. It's called Gastropod, and their tagline is food with a side of science and history. So how could I have not known about this podcast? I dove right in, and I love it. Love it. It's so good. Uh, the co-hosts are Cynthia Grabber and Nicola Twiley. Twiley. Uh, so these two lovely women that talk about different food and science and history podcasts, uh, they serve up a new episode every two weeks. I love that. Uh, again, it's been going for five years, so I have started at the beginning and only listened to the first maybe two seasons, so first maybe 10 or so episodes, but I love them, starting with episode one, The Golden Spoon, which talks about how different metals affect your taste buds and also wood and different materials and how the shape of these uh, utensils have altered the evolution and shape of our jaw. It's just fascinating. Episode four, which is a small bite, so it's a shorter episode, and it talks about smoked pigeons and other subnatural delights and kind of the subject of you know, food that is not recognized by the people of the United States as a delicacy somewhere else, uh, and we how how that's different in different cultures. And it talks about the gentrification of food, which I've never thought about. Super fascinating. I learned a lot. Kale of the Seas, also really good. Uh, there was one that I just listened to this morning about cattle and how they're not treated as animals because of their reproductive, you know, and how to make the perfect next bull or cow super interesting check out gastropod Ooh, while you were talking i i quick looked up to see if gastropod was at podcon when i was there oh. because it sounds so familiar interesting um and I, it didn't come up um but yeah oh that and i thought maybe great. you were digging up like maybe you talked about a specific episode or no, something and referenced so. it and i was like uh oh here it comes no but uh yeah it's something we would i know you would love it too because yeah. it talks about some of the science especially that one about the utensils and how oh. how gold and silver and bronze make food taste different and why some utensils would actually be better for different courses mm -hmm. and why china was introduced and all of these it was so fascinating that was one of those shows where i listened to the first episode and i was like this is definitely be a cool sheet oh i wanted to listen yeah. to a bunch more episodes so i could make sure that it wasn't just like maybe somehow even though it's been going on for five years a singular <laughs> episode that was good it's not they're all really good oh i didn't talk about their show notes so of course they have show notes mm -hmm. super in-depth tons of links of further examples and studies and super interesting stuff they're very detailed so i I love show notes. Wow. Uh, I also love just the two people, kind of like our show, that have different perspectives and different views. Uh, they take, you know, one, maybe one subject, mm -hmm. but they have these different views on the subject. It's super fascinating. And, of course, they have experts and scientists and people that have written books, authors, and other podcasters and things like that. So they add their perspective on the subject. 
is so great. I just, it is definitely my favorite right now at the moment. That's awesome. As soon as you talked about, you probably saw my eyes light up when you talked about different utensils. And I will say, like, even the shape of a spoon can make a difference. Like, there are spoons that are silver spoons that are a certain shape that I strongly dislike. Like, I will choose a different spoon. Like, I don't know what it is. It's so weird. But it does make a difference. It really does. And it's yeah. strange. And the, the, the actual material, how that affects your taste buds, super fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, it really made me rethink. They were talking about having like parties with different utensil mm-hmm. materials. And, and so the same food and different tastes, how it all tastes different. Oh, I totally believe it. It's so cool. It would be so much fun to have yeah. with friends and just have that conversation. Ah, super. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about it. And five years, that's awesome that it's been going on for five years. Oh, I know. And they're still going. They're still going. They're doing, you know, I think they have like a season. So I think they, actually, I don't think that's true. I think they they do it every other week. So it's not a once a week program. So it's maybe not overwhelming for them. But I believe that it comes out every month. So essentially to a month or so. Uh, Yeah, it's great. They're so good. I did listen to a current one that was all about CRISPR and food. Because I was into CRISPR, I've been very fascinated about that. So yeah, that, it's great. It's just such a good podcast. They picked a very good name too. That's yes. a great podcast name. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Oh, uh, awesome. Well, in that vein, I am also going to be talking about a podcast. And on the other end of the spectrum, this is a brand new podcast. There are only four or five episodes out so far. So this has not withstood the test of time. But I'm guessing that this is not going to be that it probably will end. Okay, so this is called the Happiness Lab. And this is based on essentially the work of the career of a Yale psychology professor, Lori Santos. And that being a psychology professor, she was looking into this idea of happiness, along with many other psychologists around the United States who have written lots of books and things like that. And so what she did one year um, recently at Yale was that she offered a course that had to do with um, psychology or the name that she gave it was Psychology and the Good Life and that it was about happiness. And she expected the usual about 30 students to enroll in the course. And lo and behold, 300 students enrolled in the course. And so they had to scramble and find another hall, like a huge hall that would hold the 300 people. And then they realized, okay, this is really interesting that there's so much interest in it and that perhaps we could do some studies, so to speak, with these students. So this is students who take psychology courses are used to all the time them being the guinea pigs. And so asking them questions before they take the course, during the course and after the course. And it was so successful that this course is actually also um, online for free. So you can take this course. And it's been turned into this podcast. And so she has done a great job. Yale's done a great job at the the sponsor and just a whole slew, a whole team of people have made this awesome podcast that really delves into different ideas that you might find surprising about happiness. And, you know, everyone now knows money can't buy happiness, but it goes beyond that. And it's really great. I love it. The Happiness Lab. Whoa, very cool. 
That sounds like something I would really like. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. We just did a pre-record and I was talking about different happiness things. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've done several and I think you have too. Because it is. It, it, it's, it's fantastic. That's, that's really, you know, there's so much that we don't know about that and things that we're discovering all, all of the time. These, it, And it's way different than what we used to think it yeah, you know, brought us happiness, and I love it. Just yeah, learning about that stuff. It's and cool. one of the one of the themes that comes up again and again is that happiness that we seek, we have ideas about what that looks like, mm. and we have ideas about what's going to bring us there. And she points out and gives us lots of examples how often it is the opposite mm. of what we think. And um, and part of that is uh, things that we choose, like that we choose to do online shopping and we choose, oh, this is so much easier if I just do the online banking and if I and that we end up missing out on human connection and on so many things that we wouldn't expect. And um, she really I have learned so much from it. And this is, like I said, just four or five episodes. It's very fascinating. And she does a great job. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah. there was in uh, Five Bullet Friday in Tim Ferriss's newsletter. It kind of reminds me of a quote that he quoted by Henry David Thoreau, that happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will evade you. Uh-huh. But if you notice the other things around you, it will gently come and sit on your shoulder. Yes. Such a great pie. Of uh, quote by someone from a long time ago, yeah. you know, that had it just nailed it. Yes. That one of those things that we keep learning about that you can't chase it or put a price tag on it or do things like that. Exactly. Other factors involved. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. And she she gets guests on. Um, so she'll have Olympic medalists and they delve into that whole thing of um, there's been a lot of studies of depression that can actually come about that in a surprising sort of way with mm. the different medalists. I don't want to say more than that because it'll give away the surprise, but um, cool. Super yeah, I can't wait. I'm definitely going to dive in and yeah. check that out. Thank you. Sure. Okay, my first uh, cool sheet, or no, what is this? My second? Where am I? <laughs> I got to make sure that I don't repeat. I'm on my second. <laughs> okay, my second cool sheet is a monthly challenge, and I was scrambling. I just heard about this. It's right now time of recording. It's October something or other because my clock is not cooperating with me right now. It's almost mid-October, and this is called Inktober. So it's an inking challenge, and inking as in uh, drawing, inking, things like that. So uh, every October, artists all over the world take part in Inktober Drawing Challenge by doing uh, one ink drawing a day for an entire month. So it's one of those monthly challenges where every day you can do an ink drawing. But again, like challenges, you can do this anytime if you want to. You can just pick 31 days. You can start uh, – he even calls it like the half marathon where you do it every other day instead or maybe just once a week. I think he – found a clever name for that but this is jake parker who started this and he just wanted to kind of hone his own inking skills in he was an artist by trade and he started this challenge on his own and kind of opened it up to the world and it caught like gangbusters everybody started doing it it's huge if you go on to uh Instagram and look at the hashtag Inktober just 2019. I think there's already 3 million hashtags using that. So that's just for this month, this year. But if you go to it, so if you're not an artist and you just want to appreciate art, 
Search for that hashtag on Instagram and you find all these just amazing artists and super very diverse styles and designs. And it's just a cool place to go if you like art and you don't think about it. Um, But if you want to start getting more into it and you can adapt it to any way you want, maybe it's just a drawing a day. He also has prompts for every day if you have trouble thinking what to draw that day. All kinds of different things that are helpful on his website and it's Inktober. Ooh, it sounds fun, too. And it sounds like a nice way to just take a little break mm-hmm. and just do a little sketch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because he says, I think, on one of his uh, things, anyone can do Inktober. Just pick up a pen and start drawing. But that's a little bit of a misnomer. That can be very intimidating to some people. True. And he does say that that it's it's easy and it's hard. It's it's easy to just pick up a pen and start drawing. Uh, but that is scary to some people. So he has like, you know, here are some things to help you get started. And you can always go online and look at YouTube channels and other resources to get started. So it's not as intimidating. But yeah, yeah. if it's just any kind of little doodle or something, it's always something I want to incorporate more in my life is art mm-hmm. and, and drawing and things like that. So it's a super good resource. Yeah. Yeah. And really, for you could be a total artist and you could be not. And either way, it's going to inspire you to maybe it wouldn't be the exact same thing. Maybe you are an artist, but you don't draw enough. And it's like, oh, this will get me to, you know, to to draw more. Yeah. And, and it kind of builds yeah. that, that 30, you know, you're doing it for 30 days. So you're getting a habit. A lot of people have said that they've gotten careers because of this because they just practice more and then now they have a resume of 30 different projects or they just draw more during the day and it's now more just a happier part of their life. You know, he's gotten a lot of testimonials from people, of course. And and like I said, just if you appreciate people's drawings, Mm -hmm. just look at those hashtags and you have three million to choose from and it's only halfway (laughs) through October. So, Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Okay, my next cool sheet, I'm going to be talking about hypoxia. So this is a scientific word that is referring to oxygen. And this is the 2019 Nobel Prize in Medicine was on hypoxia. And as soon as I saw this, I got really excited because my research is really integrated. This this idea of hypoxia is integrated into it. And so I just wanted to talk about this because it's definitely something that's not in mainstream. And um, and I but I do want to say the the most mainstream thing is this whole idea of, well, how obviously how important oxygen is for us oxygen breathing beings. And so things like when you go to high altitude, there's less oxygen. And so that's something that most people know about. But what has been less known about is what is going on in cells in us and that there are two extremes that have to do with oxygen that are deadly. And so one of them is if you do not have enough oxygen, and so then you're asphyxiating and your cells can't survive. But if you have too much oxygen, then that is also relevant as well. And a great example of that actually is putting hydrogen peroxide on a wound. Okay, so you have a cut and you put hydrogen peroxide on your skin and you'll notice that there are only bubbles being formed where the cut is, where the blood is, and you don't have any 
bubbles at all where it's just skin. And that is because the iron in your blood is catalyzing this reaction that happens that is forming bubbles of oxygen. And it is the pure 100% oxygen that's in those bubbles. That's what's killing the bacteria that's there. It's not the hydrogen peroxide that's killing them. I mean, that can eventually, but like, boom, in terms of the sledgehammer, it's that. And so essentially what my point is here is that these researchers have delved into, unlike anyone else, and seen what is happening that no one seems to care too much about over the years? Um, what is happening and how can cancer cells exploit this idea of different oxygen levels to do what they're doing? And then how can we fight cancer by knowing that? Hypoxia. Whoa, that's really, really cool. I, I'm, Am I totally mistaken, but isn't a lot of Wim Hof and even heliotrope breathing because it's about kind of almost hyperventilating, like getting mm-hmm. a lot more oxygen into your bloodstream and, and into your body. And it, and it kind of like people pass out, of course. That's why they don't ever do the Wim Hof well in the bathtub and because people have drowned and, you know, or you, you're running and you pass out and you do all these things because he's so physical and does all these crazy challenges that he does it. But I think that's what he's doing is you're like rapidly breathing, getting more oxygen in your blood bloodstream and that's altering your state and doing things and he talks about how it it makes him super resistant to disease and he's reversed you know he's given himself you know either bacteria and given him things and being able to just flush it out by doing different breathing methods which and i swear that hypoxia maybe i'm totally wrong was part of some of that stuff explanation that I didn't quite understand. Yes. But I feel like I kept hearing that word before. Uh, very possible. So this is the thing is it's extremely complicated. Yeah. And, and I am sure what he's trying to do is just simplify it so that people can understand. Because when you do hyperventilate, there's a lot more that's happening beyond just what's happening with oxygen. And you are totally throwing off and actually, the, what I know the most about is actually your um, your buffering system in your blood with the carbon dioxide that's in your blood. That is getting thrown off. Uh, and the yeah. oxygen is part of that as well. So sure. there's, there is so much going on that it's really it, – you can't just say, oh, it's more oxygen because right. of the complications. Well, and but, I think like when you del- – and I, I am – poorly summarizing even the Wim Hof method because people that know about it would be like he isn't any clue what he's talking about because he varies. First you're putting a lot of oxygen into your system then you blow a lot of it out and you hold your breath and so and I think it's just playing with those levels and it definitely does some crazy things to your body yeah, but for then sure. this using this in a more scientific hardcore method for sure is even you know different but yeah. similar I think so, yeah, I definitely want to just learn more about all of oh, it. Oh, my gosh. I know. I mean, it. you bring together biochemistry and physiology, and you can spend several lifetimes studying just one small aspect of yeah, that. absolutely. It's amazing. It's so cool. And the reason why I haven't ever talked about Wim Hof as a cool sheet yet 
even though I'm fascinated with him always, is because I don't know enough about it yet. I still feel like I need to dive further in, but it's so fascinating, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the breath. We have talked about breathing. Oh, for and I've sure. Had like yes. several different breathing series, you know, cool sheets. But it just fascinates me. And this oxygen is a big part of that. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Exciting. All right. My next cool sheet is a recipe. I think you could say it's a bunch of other things. And this is by Chef Steps, which has been a form of cool sheet. But I have to talk specifically about what they just released. And it's essentially they really took a deep dive into chocolate chip cookies. And I gave you some chocolate chip cookies last week. I didn't get to make them this week again, but I have been obsessed with their obsession of the perfect chocolate chip cookie. And that is very subjective, and they acknowledge that. And if you talk to different people, everybody has a different idea of what the perfect chocolate chip cookie is and what it consists of. With nuts, without nuts, oatmeal, which isn't really a chocolate chip cookie, but people swear by it. And how many chips? And then do you like it gooey or do you like it crispy? And and it gets divisive and passionate super fast. Everybody gets very attached to their perfect uh, their perfect version of a chocolate chip cookie. And I just love it. They went through thousands and thousands of different trials and cookies making what makes them react a certain way and have attributes for a certain way. And they came up with a cookie calculator because they know tastes are different. So if you like chewy or if you like crisp, here's the things that you can do to make them the way that you like them. So they didn't really – they did come up with their ultimate average, which they – consider the best chocolate chip cookie for themselves, but they realize tastes are different, so that's where they tell you to take a look at the cookie calculator. They also emphasize a lot on process, even more than ingredients. So under-mixing, over-mixing, what happens when you put different flours, more flour, more leavening agents, more sugar, different types of sugar, brown sugar, white sugar, organic sugar, uh, light brown sugar, dark brown sugar, molasses in there, all these variables and they get super nerdy. This is why I love Chef Steps about all the details. They have graphs and charts that they share. It's like four different series on their website. Definitely check out the Chocolate Chip Cookies by Chef Steps. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When I was like in seventh to ninth grade, I kind of did that. I made all different chocolate chip cookies and I would mix like shortening and butter and and all these different things. And I can't wait to see all the different things they did. They get so crazy into all the details Uh and they share all their, if you want to dive into their Google graph chart and all the different trials that they did, they freely share it. Um, They've really revamped their entire website and they've done this. They now have subscriptions model because they weren't they the owners there was two kind of founders they split up uh grant kind of went on this quest of like self-discovery and what he was going to do with chef steps but now it's back and they do have a subscription model now which i actually took a part of which i don't do often but i love chef steps so much and what they've done and they've given me so much free stuff forever that i want to support them and so now you get all these behind the scenes videos when you're a subscriber they call it the studio pass uh lots of extra information but they have tons of free information too and the cookie one is all free like the four different resources of ingredient section the process section the cookie calculator 
calculator, the graphs, everything, all that's free. So that's very, very cool by them. And that's why I wanted to have that specifically as a cool sheet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love chocolate chip cookies are just they're that's one the of my thing. favorites. Like it's they're so just... simple though, mm-hmm. too, and universally loved. And their, like, ultimate chocolate chip recipe takes six hours. So this is not a simple recipe. It is a very highly step, a lot of steps. It's easy, though. Don't be intimidated by the time. A lot of that is chill time. So you chill the dough for four hours and then it let it come back up to room temperature for an hour. So that's five hours right there, but you're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. So the other process is much shorter, but it does take a long chunk of time. And you don't always have six hours to make chocolate chip cookies. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, so they tell you other hacks and things to do and how to do it faster. And it's so cool, but I love how in depth they get they get crazy 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 in depth and that's what i love about them <laughs> so say this again you did not bring any cookies today i did not bring any cookies i know well it's hard to find 6 hours <laughs> last time i oh, had to, come on. i had to get up at 6 o'clock <laughs> to come bring you cookies yesterday so or last week so oh, man. i did not do that i slept in i had a weird sleep pattern yesterday so they were so good and these yeah. and those i messed up like four stages so I did cookies the following Tuesday, I think, because if I get home right after work and I get started at six, I can have by midnight Dang. cookies done. Okay. <laughs> and I did that one night and there were things I I undermixed the creaming of the sugar and the fat and then I I didn't do a couple other things. I didn't chill it. I chilled it the right amount of time, but I didn't let it come to room temperature for an hour because I was trying to get here on time. So there were things that I didn't do right. And the second batch was way better than the ones I did. Wow. Yeah. Hard to believe because cookies are still good. They're always good. That's the best thing about doing chocolate chip cookie trials, too, is you just get to eat a lot of chocolate chip (laughs) cookies. And they're always good, but it was fascinating the difference of just mixing the sugar and the butter together longer made the dough and the cookie way way better that's so interesting one variable of the process did they say why ingredients were the same the measurements were the same yeah but uh just that people don't cream it enough so they're always afraid and and you learn a lot about this when you start cooking of over mixing stuff is always usually bad. Yes, but it's, with flour, not with the other it's stuff. It's true. So because of the content of sugar and fat, it's almost impossible. It's not impossible, but it's almost impossible to mix that too much. Mm. But I think people get a little intimate. I know I just start undermixing everything. But yeah, once you add the flour and the chips, you want to barely mix that together. Yeah. But the the butter and the sugar, you can just beat it almost into oblivion. But you can overwhip it, too. And they don't use a whisk. Oh. They use the paddle in the KitchenAid. You can also use it, uh, do it by hand. So that makes a big difference because you're not whipping as much air when you use a paddle yeah. attachment in a KitchenAid mixer. Or that's why the egg beaters, you know, when you use that a lot of the time, they're not like a whisk. It's not a whisk. They're different uh, attachments, you know. Yeah. So ah, I still I want to know difference. why. I want to know what those molecules are doing. Oh yeah, what and I'm sure they might go. They doing? probably go into it because, like I said, they 
take deep dives or else yeah. you can find that information out. It's super fascinating. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will look at that. Yeah, I did. Um, I had a cool sheet with pie crust. And that was, that was one of the things that I love so much about it is it learning more about the molecules. Yeah, why, you know, absolutely. why is it? Cold wanna, butter, yeah. warm butter, all of the variables and how... Get the flakiness uh, yeah, and all that. It's super cool. I love food science I for know. sure. That's so I great. liked gastropod and now that's why I like this. Uh-huh. So All right. Well, moving on to my cool sheet. I am going to be talking about a nonprofit organization. Oh, these people are amazing. Okay, this is called Urban Upbound. All right. So I found out about them because I um, I have had experience with debt before, and so this was a while back. I looked into the um, American uh, Commuter, sorry, um, Consumer Credit Counseling Services, um, and they're great, but they do, you know, they they try to get you into programs to pay it off, and I don't know. I was I was looking more for into nonprofits that help you more with the actual counseling and not advocating for any one way of doing it, but just giving you information and then helping walk you through it. And Urban Upbound does this so well. They are really amazing. And so they have started in New York City and they're spreading. And especially New York City. So what she said, I heard this interview with um, one of the women who helps bring in the funding so that they can do this for free is that the poverty level there is 16000 a year. But most of the people they're helping, and so these are people in financial turmoil, they're making 40000 a year, 60000 a year. Some are even, she said, yeah, I'm helping right now this firefighter who's making over 100000 a year but is having a really hard time because it's New York City. And so I think part of the um, – the aspects of them that's so great is that they will help anyone regardless of what, um, where you are. And, and of course, they want to help the people who need it the most, but they will help anyone. And so they provide employment services, financial counseling, tax preparation, debt management, and that they are also helping people then get jobs after this happens if they're if they're not making enough jobs and, and looking into different options for them and things that just people wouldn't even realize if they just don't know what's happening and they feel swamped and um, just really wonderful everything that they have done also for communities. And I could go on and on forever. I just love this nonprofit, Urban Upbound. Wow, very cool. Sounds like a great resource. Yeah, financial stuff. That's another thing that can intimidate people a lot. Yes, and you can very quickly me. feel overwhelmed and just it causes a ton of stress and anxiety and yeah. And all of that. So it's good that there's finally some really good resources out there these days. There didn't used to be no, at all, no. hardly. And um, she did explain so they, they are able to do this for free and do so many things for free because they do have sponsors that are like Wells Fargo. And, oh, cool. and so the um, the person interviewing her was sort of joking like, you know, OK, why are they doing this? Like what's in it for them? And she said, well, after 2008 – 
they are now yeah. obligated to help oh, communities. That's interesting. Because they put so many people in dire straits. Right. So. Well, and, you know, as even from a pure business standpoint, when you give someone a loan, you don't want them to default on that loan. You want them to pay it off, and then that makes you more money. True. So they do have some... You know, vested yes. interest with financially Very. for them as well. So it makes sense. But I'm glad that they're also being required to be yeah. a little bit better <laughs> at what they're doing versus the opposite when they, they did cause a lot of these problems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, people did as well. It was a two-way street for sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, glad it's changing and there's more help out there. Yeah. All right. My next cool sheet is an article, and this is going to maybe seem strange at first, but it is called the article is called How to Be a Woman of Color in Tech, and it is by Rifa Thorpe Tracy. Uh, Tracy. So obviously I'm not a woman, and I'm not a woman of color, but I thought this was a an absolutely great article that everyone should read, uh, even more so because I'm a, kind of a white male with privilege. And I don't always know what it's like for people outside of my own bubble or, uh, you know, my my own experiences. And it, I try to be more empathetic and live in people's situation and see it this way. So I read this article and I thought it was fantastic. Again, it's, it is for women of color. It would be super valuable or just for women or for white dudes or for anybody, because it talks about, um, Rita says that she loves working in the tech industry. It's super interesting and innovative. Uh, it's very buoyant and lucrative as well. She's been a longtime advocate for more women in tech because it is not common as common as it probably should be, certainly. Um, but it's getting more. It's getting better. But And then certainly not women of color, especially. It's, again, a, another subset that's just uh, there's just not enough of it happening. So she talks to other women of color in tech and they share their stories and how they got into the business. They give advice to other women. And how to get into the business. They have also resources at the end of the article, which were invaluable, um, like different meetup groups and networking resources and people to follow and different uh, uh, activities and other happenings, um, Afrotech and the other box and other podcasts to listen to. And they also have just a glossary for people that don't know some of these terms and to now be more familiar with them. It's just a fantastic article. How to be a woman of color in tech. Oh, that sounds really inspiring. Yeah, it's great. And like I said, I'm not a woman of color and I'm not even really in tech, but it is a very good thing to read and just grasps more of what's happening in the world around us. Do you remember where she's based out of? I don't remember where she's from. Uh, that's a good question. I'm sure it's in the article. The article is just um, from her website. So she has a whole website. Oh, cool. That could be its own cool sheet, I bet. I just happened to just see this article, but now it has opened up this whole other world to her website and other information. So it's worth checking out. Uh, go to our show notes and you can dive in and figure all that out. Yeah. Um, I did want to make a comment that I have heard um, a lot of people criticizing when there is a group, you know, like a if it's women of color in tech, um, you know, meetup group or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, that's not fair. Like, I, I'm not going to start a white men in tech start, you know, <laughs> yeah. group. And yeah, that's um, called the United States for the last <laughs> few hundred years. 
right? We had that. <laughs> and just how how helpful it can be just to talk to other people and yeah. say, "Oh, I experienced that too." Or and and then how did you deal with that when you know you heard them or when you felt shut out or where you. You know, it, it yeah. just just sharing experiences alone and being able to um, connect with others. And it's really, really helpful. And I just hope people don't discount those groups. Well, and I'm sure there will be. And they're the people that need to read this article the most and be more empathetic in their yeah. life. Yeah. And they'll get turned off because she does. She has resources to private closed groups that are for only women or for only women of color. And so I couldn't go into those resources, but this article is open for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as a white man with lots of privilege, I am 100% fine with private groups for women of color. I think that's great. I have no problems with it. Some people will. That's their problem. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not... The private group's problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I love this idea that, so let's just use tech as an example because we're talking about that, that you can say, all right, um, you know, maybe you need to change, you know, people will say, oh, you as a woman or a woman of color, you need to change how you're acting to be able to, you know, play with the big guys or whatever. Right. And I love this idea that, well, maybe the culture of tech as it is now and as it has been in the past uh, maybe that's going to be shifting more towards yeah. a, a more kind of inclusive place where everybody is playing with each other more equally. And, it, of yeah. course, it's never going to be equal. Nothing's ever going to be equal. That's fine. But um, just this idea that we uh, – I'll just say we women need to learn how to be that way so that we can – participate is not cool. Well, it's interesting, too, because the tech field has kind of been a darling in the world. You know, it started where they were, you know, known as nerds and geeks. And then all of a sudden, they all became rich millionaires. And then it was very, and all this innovation, you know, the iPhones and the cell phones and the computer technology and everything. So then everybody was just enamored with it. But it was very bro-y and very white privileged mm -hmm. uh, industry. And now, we're kind of shedding some light on that. I mean, like, innovation is great, but you know what? There's problems in this also. Right. Uh, so right. I, I do appreciate that the, the kind of the shine is, you know, kind of been peeled away. Uh, tech is still great, but they have a lot of work to do as well, just like every different you know, field of yeah. industry yeah. and innovation. So, uh, yeah. They all, everybody has work to do for sure. Yes. Yep. And it is great. There's a shift happening for sure. So yeah. it's really great to see. Okay. My next cool sheet, I'm going to end with an author. This is a very fascinating person, Anais Nin. Um, she has since passed away. She died in 1977. Um, but she, uh, let's see, when was she born? I, I'm sorry, I don't have it here, but it's like um, uh, maybe um, 1905 or something like that. So we're talking, you know, when all the um, Bohemians were living that she was in that she was one of them. So she started out with in terms of writing, she was writing in diaries in when she was about nine years old, and she wrote all the way through adolescence. And I think that's what she is best known for are her diaries. And there are there are journals and journals, uh, many of those volumes of those. And in terms of that 
time in history that there weren't a lot of women writing so candidly, especially about sexual awakening and things like that. And that she wrote it and she allowed those to be published while she was still alive. And that her life was pretty what you would, many people would call scandalous. And at the same time, there are so many men who lived and did the kinds of things that she did. And it was just sort of given like, oh, yeah, well, that's what he did. And he had all these different women and had different, um, you know, adulterous kind of things happening. And she certainly did. And it's pretty wild reading about it. And what I have found with her is that I find myself checking in and saying, Karen, why are you so surprised by this? This is you know, she it's just known as her as a woman and that, of course, different people do this way. And that's part of what made her such a good artist and writer. And um, she was also really into um, psychoanalysis. And and, and again, just kind of um, not your normal author. And she impacted a lot of different um, literary um, quarters. And um, so definitely worth reading and finding out more about Anais Nin. Yeah, boy, that still is going on. We talk about how things are changing in a shift, Mm -hmm. but, you know, still, yeah, a guy is a stud and a woman's a slut. That's right. Still to this day. I know. It's amazing. The United States has a big hang up on sex in general, but it's especially still, it's better than it was, you know, 10 years ago, but Mm -hmm. it's not great at all still. Yeah. It's pretty wild. But Indeed. she was really probably. Oh my gosh, what a rebel! An really, and oh you know? for oh, yeah. sure. But just probably also awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> In like reality, she, you know, she, not, like I said, there's just... these crazy stories. Like she was married to two men at the same time. Oh wow! That's and great. the one I know, and so at one point it was discovered, and um, <laughs> and so she had to annul one of the marriages. Yeah. And the one with whom she annulled. His response was, well, you know what? My life is so much better because of you. Oh, like, wow. That's how amazing she cool. was, apparently, because that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, I'm sure he was heartbroken. Especially in the but... time for the, oh, yeah. a man to say that. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Very cool. All right. My last cool sheet is a website, and this website is called The Tenderness Project, and it's tenderness.com. Nice job on getting the tenderness.com website. The definition of tender is to care, to be sensitive, to tend, and to exchange. And that's what this project is all about. It's a collaborative act of pointing and imaging and sharing and gathering, uh, listening and inquiring. And it's an experiment and archive in a seam, they said. Uh, the super the website is very minimal, and that's what I love about it. So each day, if you go to the website, it just has a little bar you can click in red, and it says "Today in Tenderness," and you click on that. And you go to this website, and it has a person that is sharing their tenderness project for the day. So this is Farah Tucker uh, that's happening today when I click that. And then it's two poems written about and from within the 
liminal space. And then it shares these two poems for you, which I don't have time to read, unfortunately. But definitely check them out or check out any tenderness project for the day. The poems are beautiful. I have read them. And that's it. When you scroll down to the end of the website, that's it. That's all that's there. And so each day you can go and then click on the next tenderness project. I don't know exactly because I haven't gone on a regular basis of how often they update. Is this every day? Is this different? I know that it didn't change from today and yesterday. So this is the weekend when we record. So I don't know if they take the weekend off or it's once a week or once a month or what it is. You can go if you go to the uh, front of the website and then you can scroll down and see an archive. But I like just that one moment and you enjoy that moment. There's so much scrolling happening in our daily lives of Instagram and you get a nice little dopamine hit, but then you just immediately need to scroll to the next one. So I love that this is just one tenderness moment that you can enjoy. The tenderness project. I love that too. I was going to say that same thing. Like there is, there is this presence that you get from just clicking that and then you're done yes and enjoy just that moment because even and i do this sometimes i'll look on instagram and i do have certain places that i like to go for something funny or something inspiring or something uh creatively stimulating Mm -hmm. but then i just scroll and scroll i hit that one and then i gotta keep going and keep going and then pretty soon it just turns into nothingness you know it's not important anymore because it's a flood and i've got to keep so what's next what's next so this one's going to be funnier or more inspiring or this and that and then it just negates almost everything yeah completely so i love how they just took this as this is your one moment enjoy it process it think about it and then go on with your day. It's so great. Oh, good job, whoever did that. <laughs> I should have. I think maybe it's in my notes or I forgot who even is responsible for this amazing project. But good uh, job on them. I love it too. And it is. You can contribute. You can sign up. So I know that it is collective. Like you can sign up. Oh, I want to. I can share imagery or a video or a poem or oh, a writer. Nice. So you can sign up for it and then share your own work, which I think I don't know what the process is. Oh, that's for, cool. Uh, collecting and, and yeah. curating. But so, it's very cool. But if you do have something to share, you could see about it yeah. on the website. Possibly crowdsourced. Yeah. Oh. So cool. That's lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, great show. Yeah. Very fun. It was. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cool Sheets. You can find out more about all the cool sheets we listed by going to our website, coolsheets.cool, and looking for the links. That's coolsheets.cool. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave comments for us on Facebook or email us at info at coolsheets.cool. Bye.